Hello. Hi, all. Welcome. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And I actually forgot a really big story that we're going to address tonight when Katie and Russell come in, because, I mean, there's just so much going on right now, but I figured it's the one that you're definitely going to want to start with. Um, but how's your day been going? It's been raining all day here, so we haven't right. really done much. Yeah, we're having a lot of rain here, so. It's well, it rains every day here in South Florida, so, you know. It's all good. So wait, what is it you want to talk about now? You get me, uh, you're changing things on me. Don't change things on me. I'm not changing anything. I'm just getting to a story that I think is very relevant. And uh, of course, it's about uh, a very good article that just came out in The Guardian regarding uh, why labor is growing so dramatically here in the States. And yet, for some reason, people really can't stand unions and how they just gave to Joe Biden without even asking for anything. It's just, no, we're behind Joe and that's it. And I think a lot of people are just fed up with the let's just cave to power nonsense. And, you know, it's it's important to recognize why so many people are fleeing the Democratic Party. It's not hard to see why. That's just one big example of that. I think. Yeah. Well, look, you mean after every all the labor uh, bootlickers all lined up to endorse him like a year ahead of time before it was even necessary? Is that is to that is what you're referring? Well, it's not just that. It's the fact that there was nothing extracted from it. There wasn't like, well, Joe, you know, labor could really use a lot of help right now. Do you think you could do this and we'll get behind you 100 percent? No, come on, man. Just endorse me. I promise I'll do something later. Yeah, no, it was it was it was extra grotesque. I will say that. Well, let's not wait. Let's bring in two of our okay. most esteemed guests because they are becoming pretty frequent, and uh, we are never going to have them on Wednesday ever again because they are now doing their live stream at that time. So we'll have to come up with other alternatives in terms of how to get them on. That's why Mondays were created for a reason. So you know them from Due Dissonance, Keaton and Russell. Always a pleasure. Welcome back to Generational Change. Hello. Hey guys. Am I? Oh yeah. Come on. How are you? What's going on? Good. Good. Been Good. A while. You guys are going to be on Wednesdays now. Now we're not even going to get any viewers. Now we'll be down to like, like, I don't know, probably like, you know, my friend and maybe like my kid. I don't know now what's going to happen. Kate, you got to unmute you my brother. Off. My fault. My fault. I got it. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, no, we were uh, we were going to do Tuesday nights and Friday mornings, uh, but my wife needs to work on. I mean, sorry, we were going to do Tuesday mornings uh, for our morning show and then keep Thursday nights. But my wife has to work Tuesdays because she works at a hospital. She can't, so she can't really avoid it. And so uh, instead, we decided to do Friday mornings. At which point it didn't really make sense to do Thursday nights and Friday mornings. So we had to push it back to Wednesday. But do you guys do Monday, Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. And we'll figure, we'll, we'll make the Monday nights work when when the opportunity presents itself. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's too few days, you know. They, there should be more days. We should lobby for eight-day weeks. Well, we should be lobbying for four-day work weeks, but, you know, we can't even seem to get a living wage or health care. So. I think we should have 10-day weeks. I don't see why we have to limit no, ourselves to seven days a week. No, I think we should, too. Actually, ridiculous. if my husband had his way, he believes in daylight savings, but only in the good direction. So every year he wants to always, he's very, very high. I forget if it's the one he, the one he let when we gain the time. And he thinks we should just do that and not do the other one and just keep doing that. And I think we'll just inversely go around the sun the other way is what I think will happen if he does that. So, but that's what that reminds me of. 
So I do want to obviously. Is it me? I'm seeing you out of sync. I am. Yeah, no, the words well, are a little delayed. That threw me too, but that's okay. Um, okay. It's, yeah, I'm All in the right. mountains. I'm oh, okay. Sure it's, just, it's not me. All right. No, it's not you. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, yeah, we learned that we're just going to have to accept Jen out of out of uh, out of a, out of. Focus. So, you know, obviously, we know the stories that we're going to cover tonight. Um, obviously, Hunter Biden, um, Andrew Tate, and of course uh, Modi, who I guess is making his grand uh, entrance uh, because, of course, he is. What a shock! Uh, but I think we would be amiss not to talk about a topic that I think is very relevant right now, and that, of course, is what's going on with labor in this country and the fact that. The president, uh, it's really just the Democratic establishment in general, just has union leadership completely wrapped around their finger. And The Guardian was nice enough to write an article about the fact that people are really interested in labor in this country right now. And yet, for some reason, they've just merely decided that, yeah, we're going to go right along with what the president wants, regardless of whether or not we extract anything for our vote. One of the things that I have been harping on as of late when we talk about, well, you know, if you have, let's say, Cornell West running in the Green Party or any type of movement, regardless of what you guys think within a Democratic Party primary challenge, the fact of the matter is uh, he is the president and there's a lot of things that he could be doing right now in terms of, you know, whether it is student debt, whether it is, you know, a living wage, whether it is health care, there are tons of things that he could be doing and he's not going to do it. And the fact that labor is not even attempting to extract anything at all is just insane. And the fact that it, it takes a, new, a, a, a periodical from someplace outside the United States to write this and just say, yeah, why is labor you know, running cover? Or I should stop saying labor. Why is union power running cover for Joe Biden and not asking for anything? I mean, literally nothing. This is if they think this is going to help them and on top of everything else, the fact that they're doing this now reeks of desperation in the worst possible way. Your thoughts? Uh, well, at this point, I, 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 th I think America is on season eight of a five season show. All of our institutions at this point are just past their prime. They're all sclerotic. They're all just completely hollowed out and corrupted. Um, our media doesn't report anymore. Our unions don't protect labor anymore. Our government does not set policy for the benefit of the citizens anymore. Um, it's all of a piece. All of our institutions um, have been captured. I mean, they're, they're all just completely hollowed out and corrupted. And this is part of what happens when you have this kind of obscene distribution of wealth, where you have so much wealth concentrated in this very small clique, they dictate everything. And everyone who's in any position to make any decisions, even if they go in with some good intentions, uh, I, you know, they sit those people down, man. <laughs> they make it very clear to them what's going to happen to them if they continue. Okay, you want to be a smart ass. You're going to lose this position. And somebody who plays ball is going to have it. Um, I, I would argue there's an element of the decline of the national character in that. Yeah, look, it was always a movie, but I think as a nation, we used to produce some Mr. Smiths who, who would go to Washington. 
I don't think as a culture we produce those people anymore. I, I think that um, we've become so narcissistic, self-indulgent, and um, just just weak and morally decadent as a society that even when we do occasionally get somebody in there who might have gone in with good intentions, like some members of the squad, it's just not a nation that really creates people with backbone anymore. I, I think it's not hard to co-opt them as demonstrated by look how quick, look how, how fast that was. They got into Washington. I mean, it didn't take years, didn't take decades. They, they were, they were Pelosi's lapdogs in, in months, really. I mean, uh, maybe, I, I forced, maybe a year. I think forced the vote exposed a lot of people. They really did. That was it. Uh, did. Yeah. And I would just add to that, um, you know, this is part of what was at stake in 2016 and again in 2020, because with an incumbent Democrat seeking reelection, this is par for the course. They're going to endorse the incumbent Democrat. Now, I agree with you, Peter. Did they have to do so this early? And with no extraction of any promises whatsoever, not that Joe Biden's promises are worth much. We all know that. Um, but I, I would agree with you that uh, this came way too soon. I mean, the, the AFL-CIO endorsed Biden in May of 2020, uh, six months before the November vote. They're doing that uh, almost a year ahead of schedule in this cycle. But once again, that's part of uh, the consequence of having a Democratic President, these primary campaigns from Marianne and, and from RFK uh, had no chance. Uh, they have no chance. Um, and, you know, all of the institutions that are aligned with the Democratic Party are treating them exactly that way, as we knew would happen. And so, you know, uh, as veterans of the Sanders campaigns, you know, this is what losing tastes like. Losing tastes bad. And when you lose, bad things happen down the road. And uh, this is a product of that, which is why, you know, we advocate on our show for a clean break. Uh, Cornell West would have to blow it really, really bad for me not to go into the voting booth on November 5th, 2024, and not pull the lever for him. As everybody could see, I'm repping New York State. Uh, which is a safe blue state. But if I were down where you guys are or out in whatever mountains you're in, uh, Jen, I would vote for Cornell West anywhere and everywhere. And I would advocate everybody do so because this road inside the Democratic Party leads to more of this. This is what you get. You get weak unions caving a year and a half before the vote, uh, getting nothing out of it. Yeah, people are hungry to join unions. So why is labor so timid? Um, you know, perhaps, I, I mean, I, I like, I like, uh, the work that Hamilton Olin has done a lot. Uh, perhaps he answers his own question in the headline, right? Perhaps the reason why union membership is on the, on the rise is because these unions are becoming watered down. These unions are not threatening power in the way that they ought to be. And, and as a result, uh, maybe they are allowed to expand more than they would be if they were threats. So, you know, um, sorry to paint such a bleak picture, but that's what you have us here for by now, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm just glad I'm in the I, bathroom. I've got like my razor somewhere near here because after <laughs> Russell, I was like, I'm like looking for it. But um, first of all, regarding Cornell, I, it, I, it was it, we, we need the mafia back in charge of the unions. That's, that's <laughs> you that's know what? Opinion. I agree. And, it worked um, better with as, the mafia in charge. No, I, I, I often have said, imagine if we had somebody like Jimmy Hoffa, like that's yeah, the kind of yeah, crap that we need yeah, going on yeah. right now. 
Um, I am with you on Cornell. Like as of right now, I can't envision a universe wherein that's not who I vote for. Like given where we, like I, you know, there would have to be like, I don't know, something come down from, and this is hard as an atheist to project, but like it would have to be something coming down from like the heavens or something um, to change me on that. But we like, for example, live in a very interesting place where we are, where if you don't run as a Democrat, you just can't participate. And every area and every district is different and the strategy has to be different. And I understand you guys, we've talked about this before. I think the Democratic Party is where people go to die. Absolutely. Um, And I think it depends on what is your mission with what you're doing. Is your mission to just go and sit in Congress and think you're actually going to get things through? Or is your mission to cause a serious uprising and be, be part of a revolution and try to incorporate labor and be as loud as you can for as long as you can? So different people, different missions. My idea for Cornell is I think he can get the 5%. And I think that that is a very like reasonable kind of like goal, uh, which would be really nice to see. You know, the Green Party hasn't done it yet. I think he's the candidate that might be able to do that for them. Yeah, and even stopping, even short of that, even if he gets 2%, if he gets 3%, if he starts polling at margins at or around Right. I mean, above would be great. But if he starts polling at margins at or around the differential between Biden and Trump or Biden and whoever the GOP uh, nominee is, um, that would be huge. Right. Because that causes massive chaos in the system. It causes disruption. It causes panic. And that has to be the goal. And so five percent would be wonderful. Um, I'd take 2% in Wisconsin if Biden's up by one, you know, or whatever, or if Trump is up by one, who cares? The The point is you, he, he can definitely, I think, get enough support um, to really cause a lot of panic and perhaps tip the scale to the Republican in the end. That's an outcome that we have to be okay with. And Cornell, to his credit, has been very upfront about that. He says, yeah, we have to uh, be okay with that outcome. Um, because if you're not yeah. okay with that outcome, yeah, you might as well you, not even. Then start. you may as well not do it. You have no leverage. That's like Ro Khanna say. You know, he caved on the Build Back Better. He said, "Well, if we didn't cave, we would have gotten nothing." Well, that's the point, asshole. You have to be willing to take nothing. If you're not willing to take nothing, then you're not really negotiating. And so it's the same thing when it comes to Cornell West. Um, you have to be willing to swallow the outcome that you might think of as the lesser evil. If it's DeSantis Biden, I think that's a question. If it's DeSantis Trump on World War Three alone, I would not. Con- I would have to say that at this point, given Biden's record on climate, immigration, wages, all these things, absolutely horrible. Um, I would have to say Trump is probably the lesser evil to Joe Biden on the on the Ukraine war alone. And so that takes all the guilt out of it for anybody who's still neurotic enough to worry about who do you blame? Oh, worst case scenario, World War Three ends in a month as opposed to explode into a nuclear war that then leads to World War Four in the heels of that. Right. So you, you just have to be willing to, uh, you know, have an outcome that, you know, people on the left are not used to being willing to stomach. Yeah. Um, that that's what it's going to take. And it's going to take everybody everywhere willing to deal with that in order to get him 5%. It's not, you know, Democrats in blue cities and blue states are not going to be enough. You're, you're going to have to have everybody just get the stomach to go in and vote for Cornell and let the chips fall where they may. That's what it's going to take. I will. That, I will. That's and good. I no, that's great Florida. Good because you guys are Florida people. So that's uh, I'm, I'm very heartened by that. Uh, I'm just saying I I touched on this a little bit when we had Jimmy Dore on 
Be ready. Be ready. As if Cornell starts polling in a way that they find threatening us and independent media, we're going we're to be the new anti-vaxxers for the media. They're going to come right at us, man. They're going to come right well, at no, us. Well, no, 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 no. They're going to come at you. We don't get that many people on our stream like you guys do. They're not going to come for – well, they, they suppress us so much that I don't even think they're worried about us reaching we already out. Got, we already got flagged for our Assange stream way back when. <laughs> oh, really? They flagged him? Yeah, we've been battling the hell out of the algorithm ever since. Sometimes we get lucky. But, you know, it's there is – the one thing that cannot be denied is just this complete embracing of censorship uh, from liberals, which is extremely disturbing to say the of least. Of course, yes. But sort of the gist of this whole article is to say, you know, you're talking about the earliest endorsement in the history of the AFL-CIO for a presidential candidate. Biden, again, declares himself the most pro-union president in American history. <laughs> and so in addition to that, what, what Hamilton basically highlights in this article is uh, Biden signs a $36 billion bill to save union pensions. Okay, first of all, that is a pension bill for voters that they need to keep in the Democratic Party. Those are for older voters that have always been Democrats. They can't take any type of a risk with that particular demographic. It's already on thin ice to begin with. So that's just political posturing on his part. That's not something that's going to be benefiting workers in their 20s, 30s, and 40s right now. This is for the you know 60s and, and older crowd, if you will. They're claiming that his COVID relief and infrastructure bills were boons to union workers. No, actually, it was a corporate giveaway, and some unions will benefit as a result. His nominee for the NLRB, General Counsel, has been tirelessly pushing invaluable labor reforms. Again, pushing doesn't mean getting done and saying that he has used his bully pulpit to speak out in favor of union drives. He never spoke out in favor of Amazon workers unionizing in Staten Island. That's where you use your bully pulpit. That was Bur to Bernie's credit. That was something he put himself on the front line for that Joe never did. So this argument that, oh, yeah, Joe's arguing for people to unionize. Yeah, you can say that, but doing and saying are two completely different things. And to Hamilton's credit, he does mention that the single biggest labor issue on Biden's first term was the national rail strike, which he dealt with by crushing the workers' right to strike. As far as I'm concerned, there isn't anything else that really needs to be debated here. If you're going to break a strike, you do not deserve the support of labor, ever. That of course not. Yep. No, it's a no-brainer. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the whole line that he's supported union drives, that, that's absolutely not true. Um, what he has said is that companies should not union bust, you know, no anti-union literature should be distributed at Amazon headquarters or posted over the urinals in the Starbucks bathrooms and stuff like that. And you think I'm joking, but they actually do that shit. Like a oh, lot yeah. of companies oh, actually yeah. post anti-union propaganda in the break room and all that stuff. Um, and so that's what he's done. He's basically said it should be up to the workers, but he's never actually given the workers that kick of do it, right? Do it. It's good for you. Do it, right? Uh, never has he, has he actually done that. Not one single time. Not with Starbucks, not with Amazon, not with John Deere, Kellogg's, nobody. Actually, I'm not sure if Kellogg's was a union driver, if that was another strike. So sorry, I may have misspoken there. But anyway, point is... Um, you know, he's never forcefully taken a pro-labor stance in terms of actually backing a union drive when it mattered. And, of course, the railroad worker thing was just uh, just absolutely horrible. I mean, we horrible. all covered that quite a bit. Unforgivable. Yeah. Completely unforgivable. And it was done in such a way 
that it sent a message to every union to get your ass in line and don't even think about trying to stand, right. stand right. up against this president, right. who has always been, in most ways, anti-labor. He's a guy who was advocated for cutting Social Security, for God's sake. He represents he Delaware. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like, what would anybody think the person representing Delaware as a senator would be representing the regular guy? No, no. I mean, Delaware, it, it's a fake state. It's basically like a Guantanamo right. Bay for corporate right. pirates. I mean, it, that's what it is. It's not even a real place. It's just, it's just this cutout of Maryland that they decided, oh, we're going to make this a lawless corporate hellhole. That's what Delaware is. Yeah. It's the Cayman Islands, but not pretty. Yeah. Man, exactly. well, it's probably pretty. There's yeah. probably pretty parts of Delaware, but not like the Cayman. Yeah. Well, the, this, this is why I think, you know, we're going to cover this on the show tomorrow. Um, the schadenfreude about this Titanic sub is definitely, uh, striking. Like it's, it's worth examining the sociological implications of that, that everyone got so gleeful at the idea of these oh, yeah. billionaires, you know, imploding in a sub at the bottom of the ocean. I don't think people would have talked like that even 10 years ago. Like that would no. have just been so beyond the pale. To talk How that many way about people who are like dying in a sub or even millionaires like that kind of absolute French Revolution kind of hatred of the rich was just not a common point of view. That was something that you only saw on the leftiest of the left. Like that was just not a, a, a very common view. And almost as soon as this happened, the. What it, it, uh, Orcas will take it from here <laughs> started spreading around. I don't know. It, and it's at the exact same time that everyone is, you know, uh, uh, you know, not to give any credit to the Atlantic writer, but yeah, sure. People are anthropomorphizing these orcas into class fighters. Um, because hey, they, they're fighting, the people aren't doing anything. So well, no, the ocean is like, all right, we got to do this ourselves. We got to. We'll you guys can't even fucking organize an Amazon warehouse. <laughs> Jesus. The scariest thing about 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 uh, climate change is sea level rise and the heating of the oceans. These guys are dying, so their attitude is maybe if we bump off a few of these guys, they'll get the message. You know, right, get out of here. You yeah. know what you're saying, Russ? You know, we, yeah, right. we, yeah. when the mob has to send a message. First, it's a broken window, then it's a broken leg, and then it's a broken neck. So yeah. at some point, you're going to get the message. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. So they're, wor they're working their way up to it. Yeah. They're working their way up to, to mobilizing the land sharks. My, my thoughts, this is the thing that I found really interesting about it, is at the same time that this is going on with the billionaires at the bottom of the Atlantic, and my attitude, I had a very Seinfeld, that's a shame. Um, kind yeah, right, of response yeah. um, was very much, but that's the same time that there's like 700 uh, 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 yeah, Libyan migrants, migrants, migrants yeah. refugees that have capsized or near Greece. Yeah. And it's like, yes, I am infinitely more concerned about those people. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm infinitely more concerned with those people than somebody who paid two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a head to go to the bottom of the ocean. And if somebody honestly. That $250,000, I could just think of a lot of better things. So, no, I don't really give a fuck about anybody sitting at the bottom of the ocean who paid two hundred and fifty grand to be there. 
what makes the story even worse is the fact that there were massive warnings about doing this and they were like, yeah, we're doing it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But if this was a case where they were just rich guys paying for the VIP treatment, that would be one thing. And yeah, it's sad, but this is completely different. They were like, now we're throwing caution to the wind. Whatever happens, happens. Well, you pay for it with your life. And someone, uh, I think on the news was saying a little earlier, uh, you wonder with all of the exploitation that a billionaire has to do throughout their life, what they're thinking to themselves as they are slowly but surely watching their entire world end in slow motion. It's, you know. Uh, I, 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 I don't know, man. I mean, the Xbox game controller wasn't a hint. You know, as soon as I saw that, I'd be at. No, I'm not being funny. No, no I I'm understand. Serious. No, no, I'm I understand, serious. but that's, it is funny. That's yes. really what they were using. No, I know, for but that. it is yeah. funny. That yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean that that's not a hint for you when you see them wow. with the with the little thing with the arrows. Like, how could you get on that fucking thing? <laughs> go to the bottom of the fucking ocean. <laughs> go to the bottom of the ocean. Feet down. They, you know they, what lives at the bottom of the ocean? You ever see these creatures? I mean, yeah, horrible. They're funny. Yeah. Haven't you seen twenty thousand leagues under the sea? Come on, yeah. the fucking that's like a snack for them. They had a thing they were showing on the on the video. From from some store called Campway. They're like, oh yeah, this is from Campway. Get the fuck out of here, man. No, so, the ocean is not a user-friendly. I went on a snorkeling trip off the coast. I think it was Florida. And uh, you know, they have you know, they hand you like one of these uh underwater cameras. You can go take the pictures and they drive you, you know, five miles out into sea, you know, you're surrounded by water. I mean, I, I did not like it. I, I did not like the and on the boat you have these pictures that some of the tourists have taken, and they're these pictures of these six foot barracudas, right? Uh-huh. That are in yeah. the water. Yeah. And I'm getting a little nervous about swimming next to a barracuda. So one of the people, thankfully, kind of raises their hand and they ask the tour guide, they say, How do we know the barracuda is not gonna come at us? I mean, these are like predators right and the guy says well they won't bother you unless they think you're a fish and i'm like well that's not very reassuring how do i know whether i look like a fish to a barracuda (laughs) maybe they think like what does that mean they'll only come at you if they think you're a fish that's reassuring i'm supposed to be comforted by that how the hell do i know you know so it's not a user-friendly place and that's on the surface level you know near the reef or whatever 13,000 feet down, my kids are into animals. They love animals. So we've been, you know, they they got into ocean life. And like you see these creatures down there. It's another world down there. I mean, it's literally oh, another yeah. world. It's yeah. an unexplored place, you know. I'm not yeah, convinced no, they didn't I get swallowed by more, something. We know more about we know? outer space dark than down we there. do. We know more about outer space than we do about what's at the depth of yeah, the ocean. Yeah, yeah of um, course. And I remember, and this was very weird. I don't know if any of you saw The Abyss. I mean, I saw it in the theaters. And I actually ended up having like a really weird kind of like flashback in that movie. But when he goes really, really, really deep, it's like a whole other world. Like in my Mm -hmm. mind that exists and we're just too stupid to find it. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's it's wild. It's really wild. I mean, you never know. I mean, you're talking about almost three miles under the surface of the ocean. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, they're they're never, they don't even have the equipment. This is what was kind of almost tragic and it's, it's human nature. You know, they're looking for them, but they don't have the equipment to actually recover them anyway. Like the stuff that they have is rated to, I think, 4,000 pounds. This thing is 20,000 pounds. Like even if they did find them, they they don't have what they need to get them out. It's all, it's almost like human nature. Like you have to feel like you're doing something. 
but yeah. it, you know to say you tried but in the end i mean even if they did find them they're there's they're not getting them out of there this is why i always said we should put a drain at the bottom of the ocean so in case this yeah, happens we just drain the water just pull the plug and pull the plug the water the drains plug. out and we find them no problem what's wrong with that uh, Ron de Sanctimonious <laughs> says that's a stupid idea. Guess he doesn't care about the divers. <laughs> well, I will tell you, Keaton, that diving is is I think less kind of threatening than snorkeling. You don't you, snorkelers look more like floppy fish on the surface than divers look when they're underwater. So, like, you have a better mm, chance no. of a snorkeler, like a surfer, getting bit by something. That's than what I thought. Like, yeah. When I've seen sharks under diving, you can never even really get near them. They take off. Like, they don't. They're really not aggressive, except for like very few species. But yeah, no, snorkeling's way scarier. Yeah, it seemed to me, Alex. Same thing. Yeah, I didn't like being out there. Well, <laughs> I don't like going places. This is the other thing. Like, I don't, this is why I don't like to travel. Like this is, this is just to me an argument against travel. You're well, very, you're very, uh, you know, I mean, that's like the stereotype of the over urbanized for too many generations, neurotic Jew. Yeah. Jewish guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that's they're just true. afraid to go out of their environments. It's, uh, it's, it's the Woody Allen thing. There's pugs out there and wheat germ killers. I don't remember who said it, but the line was, I wouldn't leave New York to go to heaven. It's like, okay, well, there are people that think like that. But since we're talking about scraping the bottom of the barrel and there is no question. This this motherfucker, I tell him I'm going to India. He goes, don't die. Thanks. Don't die. Don't die. die. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, yeah, well, this is hey, yeah. life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Okay. Yeah. You, you're going to have to get, you're going to have to get out there a little bit. Okay. It's not a good example for your small, your little people in your house. I travel somebody a like the Unabomber, you know, you yeah. want to kind of make sure to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't get yourself too neurotic. You never know. <laughs> All the time. That's what will happen. But let's, yeah. get even more, let's get even more neurotic because as you know, uh, they will continue to distract us with this idea that we have a just system, which, of course, we don't. And that, of course, leads us to Hunter Biden, who, for some reason, they were saying forever and a day that he didn't do anything wrong. This is a witch hunt. He had this job. He completely earned and deserved uh, to be collecting, what was it, $50,000 a month or $100,000 a month. Was it 80? I think it was I thought it was 80, yeah. 80,000 a month. Well, I was in right in between. There you go. So 80,000 a month sit on an energy board in Ukraine. And so they decided that he was going to, not even a case of, hey, by the way, Hunter Biden's being charged for X, Y, and Z. Uh, he didn't pay his taxes. Uh, he has a weapons charge against him. Look, now he's been convicted. Um, he's not going to get any punishment for it. He's going to get, mm-hmm. you know, a mm-hmm. fine slap, slap on the wrist. Yeah. But that just goes to show you that we're really, you know, doing justice here in this country. Not that him being the president's son or anything makes any difference. It does not change the fact that there is a lot more under the surface that isn't being talked about. Do you guys think that this is just the beginning or you think they're going to successfully sweep this uh, one away like they do so many others? Um, well, because the Republicans are in control of Congress, I don't think they're going to be able to make it completely go away because they're going to continue to investigate the business ties of the Biden family. There was a, there was an interesting article in, uh, 
Public today. That's Schellenberger's uh, outfit, I think. Uh, he didn't write it, but somebody basically wrote a pretty sympathetic article, kind of, saying, you know, he's the family fall guy. You know, he's 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 out there making millions of dollars for the Biden family that they've been laundering through shell corporations. And in the end, because he's, you know, he's the fucking family crackhead, they they basically put this all on him. But he's one cog in a Biden family criminal enterprise. Are, are, are they going to stop looking into that? Are the Republicans who claim to have a lot of evidence that of the Biden crime network um, that's pretty convincing. Are they now going to go, ah, well, he got a slap on the wrist. Let's drop it. No. I mean, they're going to continue to investigate. Are you going to get a prosecution? Of course not. Not as long as Biden's president. Now that they've set a precedent for prosecuting their political enemies, though, uh, it could happen after he's out of the White House if he loses. They're not going to forget this. Now, now that door's been open. Like if they can continue that investigation after he's out and they have prosecutable offenses. Sure, man, I could see them prosecuting the whole fucking family after they're out of office. They opened up the floodgates. That's and it. That's- now, now you made now you made that part of the game. Which is can go after your political enemies. Uh, I just want to I literally I want to see the swamp drain. Trump has absolutely committed crimes. And to me, sure, the sure. The violation of the emoluments clause. Yeah. yeah. When, when, when did they ever care about that? It's not it, about that. And everybody I knows about it. it because you do, they, they don't break, know. Because they all break it. They all break that law because everyone look, Wasserman Schultz. We talk about it all the time. Everyone talks about what she did in 2016. She is one of the most God awful insider traders in all of all of Congress. And they all are there to get rich. Like that is in many ways their goal. And so it doesn't surprise anybody that Hunter was basically being a proxy for his father for the family to enrich themselves. And it's been doing it for decades. People are like, oh, they're innocent. I trust Joe. I I love Joe. And I'm thinking, you don't know any of these people. You don't know how they think. You don't know how they operate. And believe me, you have to be pretty freaking sinister to lie on, you know, without even thinking about it like they do. And in this case, I agree with you that Hunter is kind of the fall guy in this. Uh, he was probably put there for that purpose because he is the Fredo of the family, so to speak. That's it. And that's, and that's it. just what's happening here. And for that degree, I do feel some degree of sympathy in, in terms of his circumstance because it is only going to get worse as far as I'm concerned. It's all it's just begun. And much like Trump with the Stormy Daniels, that was just the appetizer to get him on the classified documents. And the same is going to be true when it comes to Burisma and any of that information regarding what he was doing on that energy board. That's the next step. Uh, that's what that's the way I see it. What do you guys think? We'll see. I mean, it it's tough to imagine uh, these sorts of seismic changes, you know, inside the political system in a real inside baseball kind of sense, like we're talking about, um, you know, I've spoken a lot about the sort of divide between a country that is sort of, uh, you know, very much being, being pushed to the brink and being torn apart and being polarized. And, you know, there's, it's, it's very, very tumultuous times out here. Um, but inside the halls of power, you know, it, it seems that the normies are sort of regaining control of things. And so I don't know how much of this 
is showmanship. I don't know how much of this will actually follow in prosecutions and sentences. Um, you know, he pled guilty. He's likely to avoid jail time here. Um, I tend to agree with Russ that they will continue pursuing Hunter um, as a as a means to get to Joe for as long as they can or as long as they feel like they have to. Um, does that go away if they win? Maybe, maybe not. It's it's a difficult thing for me to say. It's it's very difficult for me to sort of discern right now um, where the actual politics begins and where a lot of the, you know, sort of campaign maneuvers disguised as legal maneuvers ends, if that makes any sense. It's it's tough. I couldn't really I don't I'm not confident really predicting one way or the other. John. Oh, well, my thoughts are that they're just going to play it as long as it's, you know, a viable good news day and it's open for it. If something juicier came around, then maybe they would drop it for a bit and go back to it. I, I just think it's just something to do right now. It's just something that yeah, they're that's just playing. I, I think it's theater. And I do think that he's done criminal things. And I do think he's Fredo. It is kind of sad. I feel sort of bad for him in that way. But, I, you know, they're not going to let it go. They're not going to let it go. And especially not until, you know, as long as I feel like as long as people are going after Trump, there's no reason to think that they're not going to keep going after Hunter Biden. No, as far as I'm concerned, make it tit for tat. Take down Hunter Biden and the Bidens and take down uh, Jared Kushner and Donald Trump, because that's the real crime. The real crime is the proxy that Jared Kushner was for Trump and the deals that they were doing with the Saudis, whether it was in his hotel or the $2 billion deal that they got from them, which I have no doubt was probably a, degree, a certain degree of peddling influence. It's just a effing cesspool of the worst kind, and people are sick of it. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But what I'm saying I, is that I think, given that tit for tat could go on forever, do they want to open those cans of worms? Like, do these people actually want to play by those rules? That's what leads me to to sort of see where Jen is coming from, where it's like, To to a large extent, I think this is chasing news cycles, because do they really want to set the kinds of precedents that these tit for tat investigations and prosecutions would set? I mean, these people will all end up behind bars. Well, that's that's why that's why (laughs) they good. But are they going to do it? I I mean, are they going to do it? I don't know if they're going to volunteer themselves for that level of scrutiny year in and year out. I mean, every if for some reason, every political party always thinks it's never going to be out of power when they're in power. I think if they win the election, uh, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to prosecute the Biden family. No doubt. Well, you know, no what's interesting. No, but why has a Republican win? I, I think the reason they didn't go after Trump for emoluments is like what Peter was saying, that they all do it. So they pick and choose things that can't come back to bite them in the ass. But the problem is, is that when we look back, previous administrations generally don't prosecute the administration prior because obviously Obama let the entire W administration skip on war crimes. And that might. So I always think to me that their gauge is they're willing to go as far as it isn't something that could be used against them. So they find these things. So we'll go, we'll go after Hunter Biden for the tax thing because that that's good. Well, he'll get, you know, but if we push this issue, then they're going to start looking into that in general. So I don't know. Well, by going after Trump, they broke the agreement. They broke, yeah. they broke, they broke the, I'm going to pretend I didn't see you here and you're going to pretend you didn't see me here. That's how it ran. And now they broke that uh, standard. So what's the motivation? 
Do you really think the reason they went after Trump is because they're deathly afraid of him getting into the White House again and they felt they had no other option? Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I think Trump spooked the hell out of them uh, because they never really reckoned properly with why they lost. There's this myth of Trump's, uh, you know, mojo is voodoo. I, I've always thought that's more apparent than real. I, I always thought he was he was the luckiest politician in history and who he got to run against. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, it, there, and there there's. Yeah. That, 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 yes, yes. Um, I've never thought that he was all that. That's a big part of why my money's been on DeSantis to win for about a year. You know, I, 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 I've never bought the line that, oh, he can't be beaten, but they, he got in their heads, man. They believe that. They believe that. That Trump has some, woo. Meanwhile, you got DeSantis over here who actually knows what the fuck he's doing is going to eat their lunch. And they're sitting there terrified of Donald Trump, who never knew how to actually execute his plans and didn't really have any particular belief system to execute, even if he did. And you're going to trade him for a guy who understands how to run the government, for a guy who is not a lazy clown, a guy who is going to get up in the morning and actually execute a plan. You know, you He'll live in Florida. People. He's going to yeah. get up and execute people. Yeah, he's uh, all I can say about DeSantis and there's a lot of, I mean, Scruffapone and, you know, a number of others have obviously, I mean, listen, our opinion about DeSantis is very simple. I thought he was without question going to be our next president up until his decision to basically ban abortion in Florida. And I thought that that precedent that was set was absolutely insane. And you see other states that are attempting to do it. Granted, they're probably not going to have anywhere near the success that he has. But he has been like a bull in a china shop, and eventually he was going to run over the wrong group. And I do believe that that's something that played a huge role, especially in the Florida delegation that decided as soon as he did that, they all went and endorsed Trump. I mean, I don't think there was anything coincidental in that circumstance. It was pretty clear to me that he finally overstepped his bounds. Now, will it ultimately cost him in the long run? Look, he is banking, as we have discussed on this podcast before, he is banking on this idea that he is going to win Iowa and create the momentum that is necessary in order to become the inevitable choice on the GOP side. And for everyone out there that is thinking there's no way DeSantis can get elected president, well, here's the thing. If he wins the primary and he's up against Joe Biden, he's the next president. There that's, is That's what there I'm is saying. No that's what I'm saying. Question in this world that he will flip Georgia back, that he'll flip Arizona back, that he'll probably pick off Pennsylvania. And that's it. And that's it. He's the mm -hmm. president. Yep. So this idea that it can't happen is just insane. Well, that's but what I, I believe. That's what I believe is going to happen. But I am. But I am curious if you guys. And it's going to be our fault, man. Us fucking third party assholes. Damn. It, oh, if only line Putin again. puppets. Again, if they only got in line again. So I do have to ask you guys, uh, listen, obviously not going to support him in any way, shape or form. But you can definitely tell that Newsom is waiting in the wings like he is. He's in, <laughs> he's in the ball. He's, chomping. He's, he's chomping. He wants to get in there. And you could see that DeSantis is trying to bait his ass to get into the race. I'm wondering if you guys think that that I mean, that probably is the fallback plan. But do you think there's any chance that Newsom gets in? Uh, I mean, only if Biden uh, drops out. 
He's he's not he's he's a he's a company man. He's not gonna fuck with the head office. He's not gonna do that. He's not that type. That's I don't think I he said. gets in to challenge him. He he appeared in the video. The I'm Team Biden Harris. Yeah, Remember the not, thing? Yeah. Yeah. If if Biden dropped out and say they anointed Kamala, would he feel like he kind of has some leeway because it's not the incumbent president? Maybe, but he won't do it as long as Biden's the The chirpings that I was hearing is that if Biden's numbers get below a certain point in the primary numbers between RFK and Marianne, that there is a reasonable chance that somebody big like a Newsom is going to get in there because they know, first of all, the numbers are painfully obvious. His approval ratings are in the 30s. At this stage of the game right now, when you know what's on the other side and his approvals are still that low and he's still losing universally to Trump and we haven't even begun the campaign season when it really begins Uh in the fall when the debates start to happen. As far as I'm concerned, they know that they are on a bridge to nowhere and they refuse to get off it. This gets back to the argument you guys have been making for a while, which is, Unfortunately, the shift in the Democratic Party voting bloc, the normie Dem, the universal Dem voter that votes blue no matter who, they will go over the cliff with them. They will not look for a reason to get yep. up. Even no. if the numbers no. are looking disastrous, this is a mistake. We're going to not only lose the White House, we're going to get absolutely destroyed in the House. This is a complete catastrophe waiting to happen. And they're just, they will not speak up. Uh, and that is... I don't know who you point the finger at directly. I mean, you could point it at Rachel Maddow, but I mean, to me, it's it's really bad. No, and you it, had it. You were right the first time. You were right 30 seconds ago. Pointed at them. They deserve it. They deserve it. Let's be real here. Let's be real uh-huh. here. These people are hopeless. They're hopeless. And we're not talking about all voters. We're talking about Democratic Party primary voters. I mean, look, I, I look, Russell and I have spoken against both RFK and Marianne for different reasons. Um Either RFK or Marianne would still be better choice than Biden in the, for the nomination. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, this guy is disqualifying. This guy is disqualifying. So how the guy is sitting, even in a blue pill universe where it makes sense to participate in this primary, how he is blowing them out 60 points. I mean, it's just it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Well, it's, yeah, but you're bringing up an excellent point that I, I just want to throw in there for you guys. You know, Marianne's campaign just lost their second campaign manager in a month. She's been yeah. out. She's oh, yeah. been We're going to have a way now. And if that's not enough, you got RFK now doing fundraisers with Moms for Liberty and talking about how uh, you, there's there's a way to correlate frogs changing their. Yeah, careful, careful. They he got pulled for that. Don't don't finish that sentence. I'm gonna bail you uh, out there. You know where I'm going with this. And uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Is, the two of them combined. It's not easy party. being green. getting over 30% of the vote already and they haven't even really begun his poll numbers are in the 60s even in the low and in the high 50s as far as I'm concerned that that's a five alarm fire and they're trying to pretend it's not really happening Well, well because they they don't think they don't have politics like if you look at your it's been interesting with Biden because however you felt about Hillary Hillary had fanatically devoted supporters, <laughs> fanatically devoted supporters. Yes. Biden has never had that. Oh, it, yeah. You know, he's never had a base. So the way that the shit libs have handled Biden being president has basically been they just don't talk about him 
um, they only make the negative case. Like they only go, did you see what DeSantis said? <laughs> oh, did you see what Trump did? Like they only focus on that. We only play they people. just abandoned the positive case completely because they can't do it with Biden. They just can't. How, how do you how do you make a positive case for Biden? But they can't actually think for themselves. They can't actually say, well, fuck this Biden guy. That would blow up. That that, that would require them to leave the matrix. They're not going to do that. Um, so they they just focus on that part of it. Oh, these Republicans are so bad. Right. And, and they have a very limited conception of what is politically possible as well. They have no imagination whatsoever because right. they take all their right. cues from media, which tells them that good things are not possible. That's why they voted for Biden in the primary in the first place. Right. If you look at you know, how they aligned on issues, they overwhelmingly agreed with Bernie on issues. But they were convinced by the media that Bernie was not a realistic option. He wasn't a serious choice. He wasn't electable. He couldn't implement the policies even if he did win. And he's a socialist. And so Biden, Biden is the realistic, electable adult choice. They bought that just as I knew they would buy that. And they're buying it this time to the point where even when, you know, most Democrats say we don't want Biden to run again, they will in the same exact poll. Well, who are you voting for? Well, Biden. Do you want him to run? No, but we're voting for him anyway. Why? Because he's the incumbent. What are we going to do? Switch candidates? That's exactly. not possible. Exactly. That's not serious. That's not what the I media tells us we're supposed to do. That's not what we're told to right. do. That's exactly. what it comes down to. They and and just you do cannot, what told you to cannot do. implement any sort of transformational, much less revolutionary uh, change within a structure like that. It is impossible. It's not desirable even, right? I mean, because anything you get through them is going to be a watered down version of what has to be because you're dealing with people who do not have it in them just compositionally to actually defy the will of corporate funded media heads. And so that it begins and ends there. They're, they're the kids who did what they were told in school. I want you the know, Rand Corporation to do a study proving the Democratic primary voters are far less likely to have ever snuck a cigarette in the boys room when they were kids than the general population. I guarantee okay. you, you would find now, that they're the okay, lowest. Here's the thing. I'm going to have to take issue. No, I'm going to take issue because I un reluctantly am a democratic primary voter. And I most definitely was doing all sorts of naughty ass shit all the way growing up. So yeah. Look, um, and, look, and look where you I'm are. Yeah, look, look where, where you are. are. You're fucking with place. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You're talking to us, right? I know. Well, the truth about we're that talking about the, the normie, the, the normie Democrats. Really, yes, but most and you're right. Most of the Democratic primary voters are those regular go blue. They are. We have very low voter participation in a general. It's even lower in a primary. I think the, I think we had like 14 percent in one of our elections not that long ago for voter turnout in Broward County. So it is a very small group of people. And yes, they are generally what I call sycophants as opposed to supporters. I try to explain to people the difference between a sycophant and a supporter. Um, but yeah, we have that. Hey, Chris. I think we're, I think we're, we would, this is a great transitional opportunity here because like you said, people are stuck in the matrix and there are, pretty significant influencers out there that have been able to convince people that this is all a matrix thing so they could get away with their hideous crimes. And of course, I'm talking about none other than Andrew Tate, 
who is one of the most despicable people I've ever wait, seen. Uh, and, and that was your, that was uh, your second good say, segue of the night. You had two good ones. I'm don't say that about here. Morpheus. Hey, listen, I'm learning from you cats. You know, you guys do, you guys run a pretty good show over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> thank but, uh, thank but, uh, you. but this guy, and, and the, part of the reason I wanted to cover this story, because honestly, most of it's all bullshit. Uh, he is an influence peddler. He is a guy who has been a professional fighter. He is a complete toxic chauvinist. Listen, I am the most like anti-woke person you'll ever talk to. But this is what real toxic chauvinism really is. He is a absolute uh, abuser. Misogynist. The oh, word yeah, you're yeah. looking for oh, is misogynist. Well, ba- basically, he's Tom Cruise's character in Magnolia no, just gonna in, say in, right, in yeah. real life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like and he's that guy walking around. If you've ever listened, and we're not going to bring it up because he doesn't deserve, he, there's no Please. dignity in acknowledging and such. But if you listen to the things that he has said over the years about openly admitting that, yeah, I abuse women, like what more? Yes, I know you need hardcore evidence, but this idea that there is any type of a movement in support of him, like, Patrick Bet David is very close to where we are here in South Florida. And he decided to interview this guy. And I'm thinking, yeah, I get it. You got your brand. You want to get him on there and get all the numbers. But you listen to what this guy's saying. He sees women as second-class citizens. There is no getting around that. And then he admits that, yeah, I've been pimping out these women for all these years. And yet he still seems to have so many of these supporters. And he talks about stay outside the matrix, this and that. There's a lot of mind control shit that goes on in politics, and he seems to be pretty good at it. But I do think that the more underlying issue here is that there's a lot of disgruntled, unhappy men in society, and they. Oh, I wonder why. I, I wonder why. <laughs> they can't make money and they can't get laid. What the hell do you think is going to happen? They're well, going to exactly. talk to guys like this. Of course. Exactly. It, it, I mean, he he is the playboy like trump is the businessman right like when actual you know opportunities are non-existent when actual you know fulfillment in your life is non-existent uh it becomes very easy to become attracted to this sort of over-the-top sort of uh version of what you think that kind of success looks like so yes if you're a sexually frustrated man you know, this guy has some appeal, I suppose. I mean, not to me, but, uh, you know, it, 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 I could see how people fall for that in the same way that I think people saw Trump as a serious business person, right? Just this over the top, you know, macho version of, uh, what they, what they see as, um, a life that is not really available to them, uh, in reality. Um, This is, I think, what you get when you decide that you're going to throw out all the science, all the evidence, uh, and you're going to try to argue that, uh, you know, men's, uh, you know, probably naturally genetically programmed biological dispositions are inherently toxic, that they're inherently evil that they're inherently destructive. There's something that uh, Jordan Peterson said that I think was right on. If you are afraid of what strong men do, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. 
that's what you've done. You've created a generation of very weak men and purposely so, right? Because you called them toxic. You told them being, you know, men was toxic. And so eventually a guy like this came along and said, no, you are not toxic. That raw women are rah, right. Of course, they were very susceptible to it. And by the it, way, give, and by the way, give me money to show you how. Right. Well, if you if you listen to what I know, a lot of people probably don't like him, and I you know I don't like a lot of things he says, but I think some of the things he says are are worth considering. You know, part of what and he's not the only one who argues this, but part of what Peterson was arguing there was. You know, men, unless you give them guidance and direction for a lot of these impulses that are part of their evolutionary inheritance, unless you kind of sublimate that into socially uh, productive areas, men can be a very destructive force. And to approach issues with toxic masculinity by basically arguing that masculinity is toxic, you set yourself up for this because you you basically acknowledged that there are these qualities in men and then you gave them no place to go. Quite the contrary, you told them that you cannot express these things in any way because it makes you evil and bad to express them. So you, you created very fertile ground for a guy like Tate to take advantage. Now, okay, so they now they arrested him. There will be another one. There will be another one. We we have to get back to some kind of a reasonable conversation about these things. It, it can't just be, uh, you know, this very postmodern gender studies view of men and relations between the sexes or, you know, it's just not going to work. Like, even if in theory you think the world should be that way, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not. This proves it's not going to work. He won't be the last. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. I mean, it's very there is a real parallel to Trump on a different issue. Right. I mean, you created this very angry, bitter, resentful working class population uh, that couldn't get ahead no matter what they did. And you insisted that any productive channeling of that frustration was communism. And so you can't do that, right? That's bad. So it was only a matter of time before that got channeled in some other direction. You know, and as odious as Trump was to many people, he ultimately was not obviously the threat to corporate power that a, a socialist sort of populist movement would have been. And so he made it through, he broke through. Um, so there is a real sort of parallel between the elimination of actual opportunity and the attraction to these circus freaks, basically, like Donald sure. Trump and Andrew Tate. Sure. Yeah. I find him just absolutely disgusting. I don't like the fact that we've talked about him before. I hate that we're giving him airtime now because I didn't even know who he was until the last time Peter said we're talking about him. So I wouldn't know this person, but as the only female here, um, well, I'm not saying how anybody identifies, but as, you know, somebody here who does identify as female. Um, yeah, he is not what I see as representative of masculinity. I don't I think there's toxic masculinity. I think there's toxic everything. Everything can be toxic. And I think that I, and I hate like that phrase being overused because actual masculinity is not that. 
See, yes. I don't find that masculine at all. Yeah, I don't right. find it remotely masculine. So to say it's like toxic masculinity, I, I feel like we should stop using that phrase. He is a misogynist. OK, he sure. is somebody who clearly and probably hates himself. Don't know. Not licensed in that area, but clearly hates women. OK, and that's the thing. That's not masculinity or toxic masculinity. It's just him being a misogynist. So I think we need more actual masculinity. I don't have a problem. I actually like it. Um, in doses, that is. But like, you know, I well, anybody can be toxic. That's that's my that's my point. Sure. And it has nothing to do with that he's masculine. I can think of very, very masculine people that are not remotely toxic. So I just I don't I don't I feel like we're labeling that, but he's just disgusting. That's what I think. He's just disgusting. He has been he's been charged with human trafficking, rape, and the creation of a criminal organization. Uh, this is these are charges that have been pending for several months now. He probably has been on serious uh, surveillance uh, for quite some time. And look, whatever the actual uh, you know touchstone point actually was, if it was in fact him. Uh, you know, getting into, uh, for whatever reason, calling out uh, Greta Thunberg and thinking that, uh, you know, that was a good exchange on his part, like he was going to show her up and she literally embarrassed the shit out of him. And what I think ends up happening in those situations very often is if there are cases where women are being abused and they see somebody stand up to their abuser they develop a sense of confidence to say, I'm going to stand up for myself too. And I'm going to call out what this man has been doing. And that's perhaps what did happen. There were people that were being abused by him that never spoke out and finally decided, yeah, you know what? He, he's going to line up a fleet of Lamborghinis that he was able to pay for by sexually exploiting me. I'm not fucking having it anymore. And they decided they were going to take him down. But like I said, the sadder part is watching people that look at him like he's some type of a hero. I Who are those people? Who are those people? Staying off of social media, that's all. No, it's a, hand, it's a bunch of friggin', like, I picture a bunch of, like, angry incels that are just sitting around yeah. because regular no, men, <laughs> Welcome to just Twitter. regular men, <laughs> don't, don't follow Wait, you ever, Have you ever seen that video? It's, it's, young, it's young boys. That's, Russ, that's the thing. Seen, did you guys see the video of like, I guess this kid was in like, what was he in sixth or seventh grade? And oh, he went up in front of the class and he started like mouthing off to the teacher. Andrew Tate says, I don't have to. Yeah, do yeah, yeah. I saw, so I did that? see that. It's so kids. So you're saying it's he kids. has a following that's kids. Like he's got it's kid kids. It's kids. It's young boys. It's teenage okay. I boys. I have two boys. And if either of my boys ever opened a mouth or said something like that to me, they would, they would rue the day. So shame on those parents that let their kids uh, participate in that kind of crap. Well, I think a lot of this is to the the idea. I mean, there's a reason he makes the matrix analogy because yeah. as, as you know, as odious a person as he is, obviously he's the scum of the earth. There is a kernel of truth in that, right? There, There is a kernel of truth that we are living in a reality that has been concocted by people who control narratives very, very well. And Peter, you talked about the censorship that's going on now, and it's it's getting more and more out of control. You're seeing videos be pulled left and right, accounts disappear left and right. There is a very real reason to be concerned 
that um, things are not as they seem and that what you see is not real. And so there are, of course, going to be people who take what is a very, very valid concern and a very, very valid understanding that these spaces are being manipulated. Um, They're going to take those to extreme lengths and to illogical lengths to say that, well, because there is this campaign against, quote unquote, toxic masculinity, that must mean Andrew Tate's being set up or that he's right. not the monster right. they say he is. Now, right. there's no logic in that, but there is uh, that 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 understanding is grounded in something that's actually happening, which is that um, I, I would say corporate interests. That's what it is. But in this case, it's a merging of state and corporate interests are actually bending the images and the sounds that we see. I mean, it, it really is eerie to see what, what what's happening now. You guys mentioned you had a video pulled. The stuff with RFK got pulled. Um, there's stuff that's just, you know, left and right. There was this one guy who just got his channel demonetized. I think the guy had like 860,000 subscribers for reused content. He played a clip of a Joe Rogan show and talked about it, and they nailed him for it. Since when? I mean, this is what people do on YouTube. So it's, it, you know, you, you really are living in a space where it's very, very difficult to tell um, what is legitimate and what is not in terms of opinions that get manufactured about people. And if that opens the door for irrationality, because you can obviously take that to irrational extremes, defending Andrew Tate is, you know, the perfect example of that. We, We have no figures of authority to rely on. There's just nobody there to trust and it puts everyone in a position of being deeply suspicious of any mainstream narrative and feeling like you have to research it yourself. I mean, I did when, when this first came up with Tate, I separated that what his rhetoric is from, is he guilty? I didn't, I didn't assume he was guilty of what they were going after him for because they didn't like some of the things he was saying that were more about the matrix and things like that, the toxic masculinity. I don't think that's really what they cared about as much. He started to fuse that and this influence he had with young boys with a social critique that, you know, I mean, this is where it gets a little horseshoe theory. Some of the things he was saying were not very different from things that we would say, right? That the world is being run by very wealthy, powerful people who don't have your interests at heart. I, that's when I, that's when he got arrested. So of course I made that connection. I said, well, maybe he didn't do this shit. Like just cause he's odious doesn't mean he did what they're saying he did. Um, so with this, I mean, it looks like they've developed stronger evidence and more witnesses at this point. So I'm inclined to believe it, but that is, I mean, building on what Keaton's saying, I mean, that, that, that's where we are because you can't trust anything. And then the authorities try to discredit doing your own research. You see the shit libs, they spread around those memes of, you know, like uh, Ralphie from the Simpsons. I'm a researcher, right? Like you're so stupid. If you do your own research, right? They, they try to tell so, so you're in a position where if you're a thinking person and you see that game, well, you just don't trust anything now, right? Like you could see how they're discouraging people 
from thinking for themselves. They're trying well, to also, make it put the cooties on anybody who does research. You're also suggesting that we can't have nuance anymore. That no. That's not allowed. No, right. I want to talk to Metal because he's saying stuff. Metal, you're always causing trouble in there. But first of all, I never said that this that Tate was guilty. I don't know. I don't. The truth is, I don't care. I just said he was disgusting. And the other thing is, as uh, somebody who's done criminal defense, I would represent him still, even thinking he's disgusting. So I do not assume he's guilty, and would also. I'm totally thinking that I would represent him if you know if I were doing that still. So no, I'm not accusing him of being. Hey, guilty. Are you a lawyer, Jen? Honey. What? You're a, you're a lawyer? I didn't know you were a lawyer. You're I a lawyer? am. I am. Don't yeah. hold that against me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Well, why do you? Well, it, I might. No, I might need one if I'm in Florida. I know to call. I know well, to call. Yeah, I I leave, I have, you know what? I did criminal defense when I was in Texas. So I did do that for a while. And um, the truth is, ph philosophically, and I've said this, everyone who knows me, I've said this forever. I would represent anybody. I would represent absolutely anybody. I've had rapists as clients. I'd represent absolutely anybody. Um, that's just what I believe in. I believe in the system and I'd rather a hundred guilty people go free than one innocent person go to jail. And I truly believe that that's important. Okay. So that's something that's very important to me. So I would represent anybody. You're like the lawyer in fear and loathing. Even a that's fucking my, werewolf deserves only, representation. Is I wouldn't ever be a prosecutor. I'd never be a prosecutor. Like I've only been very defense minded. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, sorry the, to disrupt the flow of the show, but no, you know, like they're, they're talking about Hunter Biden, the gun charge that he pled guilty to that he's not going to go to jail for that carries a, a maximum sentence of 10 years if he didn't take the plea. I mean, that's, that's insane. 10 years yeah. on a gun charge. What? Because you didn't disclose that you have a drug problem when you bought a gun that cost you 10 years of your life. I mean, it's just insane. Like the sentencing is out of control. And as a, as a defense lawyer, obviously you, you must know that. You yeah, well, that. it's extremely profitable. We know that, uh, yeah. you know, I've seen it, I know it. And so, and, and the truth is, yeah, I had a lot of clients that definitely did the shit that they were being charged with. Absolutely. And I've never lied for a client. I don't condone what they do, but your job is to make sure that their rights are not violated. That's right. your job. And so, you know, I, I, I take that shit seriously. <laughs> And speaking of which, as we wind down the conversation, why do you think so many people have embraced censorship? Why do you think that has become, why do you think in the embracing of censorship has become such a, like a reflex action for so many people? They don't hesitate to want to silence people. They don't hesitate to say, well, I didn't agree with him. So kick their, kick their show off of YouTube. I think why? it's very simple. I think it's because Trump. after Trump won, if half the country had it in their head that the other half of the country ruined the country with their bad ideas and that, uh, therefore, um, we have an obligation, not just to write, but we have an obligation, uh, to control which ideas they have access to and which ideas they absorb. Um, that's why Alex Jones got taken off. Look at the difference between 2016 and 2020. Um, Alex Jones, that's a, that's an example of censorship. But you also had Roger Stone get arrested. You had Steve Bannon get arrested. Milo Yiannopoulos got censored, right? I mean, in 2016, you had these guys running around, running their mouths. And whatever you think of Alex Jones or Milo or anything, like, to me, that's the democratic process is everybody gets to run their mouth. And if democracy is really so great, 
then the crazies will be dismissed as crazies, right? Um, but when you push a population to a point where there are no uh, quote-unquote sane solutions to their problems, then of course they're going to start looking elsewhere. And in 2016, they were able to do that, which is a large part of why Trump was able to break through in 2016. And the fact that they took those voices off the board, made them out of bounds uh, through both the legal system and through the merging of government and big tech censorship, uh, they were able to keep Trump just uh, you know uh, south of where he needed to be to win in 2020. That's a huge, huge difference there. So yeah, it all comes down to Trump winning made half the country feel like they had an obligation to suppress uh, the thoughts, spoken words and access to information of the half of the country that they blamed for, you know, this just apocalyptic event that they, that they had to endure. That's it. Going forward from that point, they no longer uh, felt any need to uphold the old ACLU standards of I may not believe in what you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it because Trump, they felt demonstrated that that does not work. If you remember at that time, I'm almost positive it was Jacobin that was spreading around this article that was going back to one of the Greek philosophers, but probably Plato, arguing that democracy uh, doesn't work if you give people too much of it because they'll elect a tyrant. Um, that was that was a very popular article among liberals at that moment. Um, and it was just an open case against too much democracy. It was this open elitist case that the people are uh, the masses, the people. They can't I mean, be think, given too much choice. I mean, do you think it's possible that Assange exposing what had happened during the 2016 primary, which I think we were all pretty aware of, but needed firm confirmation as to what was really going on behind the scenes and knowing full well that there is legitimate election rigging that takes place in this country, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that kind of set things in motion, kind of like for the blue pill versus the red pill people, like the blue pill people want all of that put back in the bag. You put the cat back in the bag. I don't the, want the, to the truth is, you're, no, you're that's, talking that's, about the people in power. But that's for, the a good point. for the average lib, they never even read that shit. Yeah, but you mentioned Assange, and actually I used to put Assange in that grouping of Alex Jones and Milo and things like that. And I don't anymore. I, it doesn't come to mind because I don't really think of Assange as an agent of Trump. He wasn't on the Trump campaign. But certainly the revelations that he put forward did help Trump that time. And what did they do to him? Right? I mean, that's the most dramatic example. So I'm glad you brought him up because he absolutely belongs uh, in that list of other names in that sense. Obviously, he's not the same guy. He's not doing it the same thing from the same perspective and motivation that they are. But that's an example. You had WikiLeaks, right? Um, you know, do some of its most famous work in 2016, exposing the DNC. Um, and they were nowhere to be found in 2020. You just had a much more curated and sanitized media space in 2020. Those those perspectives uh, were not given the oxygen to break through. Well, especially with uh, Schmovid. Well, with that too, <laughs> like, obviously, like you know, that, you had all that going on. Yeah, level. that amped it up to another level. Absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent. 
Is but, that the word we can't say? Is that what it is? Russell? I mean, no, where, where, where wait, you can say that. I'm being extra careful because we're no, not, because we're not we in recently, our own house. We recently on one of our recent videos, and Peter doesn't always notice because he doesn't do the monetization, but like sometimes in the titles, whatever he puts will get us limited monetization or whatever it is. And I wasn't sure if maybe that was one of the words. It's. It, it it depends. I, I there doesn't seem to be any real consistency to it. For some reason, now we're having an easier time getting the videos monetized. I think it's just because like when your audience grows, they figure they have more money to make off of you, so they let you monetize more videos. You for know now. what I mean? So like for now, you've got it for now. Yeah, for yeah, now. for now. No, don't take anything for granted. Of course. No. Yeah. And no, got, I mean, I mean that. That is part of why Keaton always, uh, you know, rings this bell like, hey, subscribe to us on Rumble. You never know what's going to happen over here. Now, I am I'm pretty confident that as it becomes more and more clear that Biden is going to lose and you throw into the mix that there's a third party candidate that they're going to blame, even though I I think the Republicans could run Mickey Mouse and that's and, what I said. And, and Biden is going down. But of course, if they have a third party candidate to blame, they're going to all of us in this alternative media space. They could shut the whole fucking thing down that I they have shut down some very big channels that were making them a lot of money, because what you got to remember is even though we're in this politics space, YouTube is much bigger than this politics space, man. And where we actually, if you look at how much viewership we bring in, yeah. No, people, it's not a drop in the box. People, people who do videos about, hey, I got asked by a viewer, what's the deepest hole you could dig on Earth? So right. we're going to talk about that. Those motherfuckers do 5 million views on those videos. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Seriously. We're nothing to them. They could shut the whole space down. Yeah, well, they suppressed the space. I'm looking for the razor again. Jesus. <laughs> well, don't get depressed. We could just, we we, we, we can do, uh, what, uh, an, uh, an archaeology show. Yeah. <laughs> I want and, and to, and one final thought on that topic. You know, obviously, you know, Kyle has, um, he has shifted. We'll, we'll just say that. Um, his He's really moved away from that radical, you know, populist left type of, of course. type of show. And when he said the other day that you should vote for Biden if you live in a swing state, or at least he's going to do so, I'm, I'm just curious if you think that, I think that's going to fall on deaf ears this time. I don't think there's going to be as much of an influence to say, well, we all have to get in line and vote for Joe. I don't think that's going to work. I think that that's going to be met with a lot of pushback in a way that hasn't been done before. And I think there's there, there's sort of like a losing of the narrative, so to speak. Something as simple as, you know, Bree coming out and saying, you don't have to vote for Joe Biden. Now, of course, you have, you saw the people, you know, freaking out, like, no, you have to vote for Joe Biden. Actually, no, you don't have to do anything. You can vote whoever you want to vote for, and your vote should be earned, not given. Uh, the same is true for all of the unions, bringing the conversation full circle. You know, it would have been one thing if there was an actual extraction for their vote. And he is the president, so he could have done something. And they decided, no, we're fine. We don't need anything. And that, to me, is an example of if they're going to try to come at them and say, well, you know, you have to vote for Joe if you live in Pennsylvania, if you live in Arizona and so on. I don't I don't see it. Now, we're fortunate that 
We live in New York and Florida, respectively, where the vote is not going to matter. One state's going blue, one's going red. But for people in other places, they're going to try to create this narrative of, well, you know, you really got to vote for Joe. I know Joe sucks in this. I don't see it. I, I just I, 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 I agree. I agree. Well, that, well, that's why I think Cornell has a shot at five percent, because I think there are going to be enough people at this point who are prepared to let the Republicans win just to burn the system down. And that's what you need to get 5% for your third party candidate. You need enough people who feel like that. And also, you know, the thing I don't understand about Kyle, you know, is that, you know, he says, well, I didn't vote for Biden in 2020, but this time, if I were in a swing state, I definitely would. Like how, in what world are you living in where Biden is more attractive now than he was (laughs) three years ago like <laughs> whose support did the, he gain it's the most important election years? of our lifetime right, because the the thing that really you know not only do you have a star on the green ticket now in cornell west that's one part of it the other part of it to me the bigger part of it the the, the biggest part of this is that in 2016 you had this perception of risk right because is can we really have Donald Trump become president? Like what kind of mess will that be? Donald Trump was a game show host at the time. We had no idea what we were in store for with a president Trump 2020, obviously because of the pandemic, the risks were perceived to be extremely high, right? You have a president who is just completely out to lunch. He's just letting Fauci do the whole thing and he doesn't have an opinion one way or the other. And so like, you're thinking, are we ever going to get to just go to the supermarket without a cloth on our face again, as long as this fucking guy is here? So there was the perception of risk there, where it was like, all right, I guess a liberal bureaucracy, as shitty as it is, will at least handle this with some measure of competency, which turns out they really didn't. Um, but it, there was at least that perception of risk. Can we survive? Like, literally, can we survive four more years of Trump? Right. Right. Now there's not that risk anymore. Like now, OK, Trump is a known quantity. We've been there. DeSantis is a a, a sick maniac with the torture and the this and the that. But, you know, we've been there, too, with Bush. Like, we know what we're into. We know what we're getting in uh, to there. Um, And what we have is just like Bush and Cheney in one man. Yeah, in one man. (laughs) And and what we have now is just so clearly untenable and so so dangerous, both in terms of the censorship and the, the stoking of World War Three abroad, like. Like there, there's not the feeling in the air now that the Republicans represent this existential risk to our immediate well-being um, that they did in 2020 and 2016, which kept a lot of people voting blue. Right. Like I think in 2024, like there is going to be this very, very pervasive feeling that we've got nothing to lose by not voting blue. I mean, and I didn't vote just for the record. So everybody knows I didn't vote blue either of those times. But I'm just saying people who are not, you know, me, I think even people who are more neurotic or people who live in swing states, I think they're going to be less persuaded by the idea that, well, we just, we, we can't let Trump win. What'll that be like? Yeah, it'll be like 2017 to 2019. Uh, what about DeSantis? Well, that'll be a replay of, you know, the, the Bush years to an extent, not to the same extent, obviously. I mean, George Bush is singularly murderous, oh. right? Um, but, you know, we've, we've seen that type Right. And there's the sense. I mean, Ajamu uh, Baraka was on the Bad Faith show and he's he put it exactly the way I would put it. And I, I think it's very smart. He says, I trust the people to survive four more years of Trump. We've, we've seen Trump. We can we can we can weather four more years of Trump. He said, I don't know if we can weather four more years of Biden. 
I, I really don't know if we can. Um, you know, and, know, and a lot of that has to do with what's happening Biden, around the world. I don't think Biden's going to be able to weather another four years. Yeah, I mean, he would not if if in theory he even makes it through a campaign, he's not going to finish his term. No. I mean, if he won, I which none of that will happen. None of that will happen. If <laughs> if if by some miracle that guy doesn't drop dead on the campaign trail, <laughs> uh, he he's not going to win anyway. No, well, I think, true. you know, one of these times he's going to fall and just not get up. I mean, that yeah, that's right. sort of what I figure. Well, um, he's got he's got he's got one of the clap on. Yeah. No, but you've always said that this is uh, this is elder abuse. And not, I think it is elder abuse. I, you know, it's just it, it's a pathetic thing. And, and I definitely think the, the Democrats are worse at it than the Republicans in terms of like bringing in new people um, and welcoming in younger people. It's it's embarrassing that this is what's going on. And I do feel that his wife has some accountability, but, you know, whatever. And and Russ, I mean, the one thing that I don't think it's talked about enough that people need to realize, and this is what I would really start harping on, particularly if Trump is really in trouble and DeSantis is clearly the heir apparent, regardless of what all the crazy Trump people are going to say, uh, there is no question that he will get the. The, the, the plurality vote that will make him the nominee. He's 40 years younger than Biden is. Like, you're not going to convince and, me. And, and he's, he's, he's uh, about the same younger than Trump. <laughs> you know? What, he's 44? Uh, right? what, 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 what is Trump? 76, I want to say. Right, so. yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's still pretty significant no matter how many ways you look at it. And the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, he served. He served our country. He served in combat. And that is going to matter a lot to those. Oh, you know, he served. Yeah. Those right leaning voters that are in mm -hmm. states like Georgia and Arizona. And well, did you did you see the article in The Washington Post? We covered it the other night of how he has set up a boot camp where he's not doing a volunteer thing. He's hiring thousands of door knockers who are getting paid 20 to 22 an hour. DeSantis. And, yeah. And right. they have to go through training. Sure. And you can flunk out. Like he's only picking the best he's people running, to he's go running through that a, training. He is 1000% running a, a military operation. That's there it. They, they call the place Fort Benning. Yeah. They call the training place Fort Benning. And if you uh, think that doesn't win, I'm sorry, but you're in for a rude awakening. Exactly. Exactly. As soon as I looked at that, that's why we covered it. Because And I'm happy he's paying them well. I mean, yeah. I actually appreciate that. And as someone who watches in, we canvas all the time. We're always at polling places. We know that the, the, those people don't make a lot of money. You know, down here, it, we, we hopefully we'd like to see that they're at least making $15 an hour. But if he's paying them that well, good for him. No, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have these poor Biden volunteers out there in the snow in New Hampshire working for free. They're all gonna go over and work for DeSantis. They're gonna be like, "How much you get paid?" Exactly. Yeah, shit. Miss Russell's first days uh, Monday. Yeah. He starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Anonymous is right. Uh, the one thing about DeSantis is his complete. You know, he kind of has like a complete lack of personality, and he's very vengeful. You know, we're going to be talking about this with Ann Eskimo. Well, clearly, yeah. Yeah, when she comes back on our show, we're going to be talking about the fact that he's been he's been running roughshod over uh, members of the GOP now in the state of Florida that are not backing him. Like, he is 
he's running a very almost like Mussolini-like type campaign. Like I have to destroy my political enemies, both foreign and domestic, no pun intended, but that's just kind of how he's going to run a ship. And the fact is, as scary as it is, but a lot of people gravitate towards strong men leaders like him. Hey, you know, Trump's, yeah. the, Trump's the same way. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, that he's got that Trump quality, only he's fucking competent. That that's it. In the, in the end, Trump was always an undisciplined clown who was entertaining, and he he you know you put him next to Hillary Clinton. Of course, you want to freak out Hillary Clinton by electing that guy. You know that's a very unique scenario that's not going to be repeated again. And at the end of the day, it's a class war, nothing more. We do not have to really get into all of these, um, you know, catchy stories and things. The fact of the matter is, you know, we don't have a living wage. We don't have universal health care. We have a for-profit prison system. We have a, you know, a, a war economy, you know, where civil liberties are being taken away from us every day. Yep. And all the while we're getting distracted by the red team and the blue team. And the truth is there's a lot of populism on both sides where there's a lot of agreement on a lot of major issues. There's a reason yes. why the constant talk about the LGBTQ or it's really the trans community. Let's be honest. It's really what it is. Uh, the issue of abortion, uh, the issue of, of guns. It, there is always going to be that wedge issue that will divide and conquer. But if you're talking about whether or not we should remove the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors, it's like, why are they only talking about vaccines? If they gave as much air to universal health care that they gave to the vaccine nonsense that's been going on, it's like- but that's not profitable. No. Well, yeah. And look, look, the vaccine stuff is the stuff that's least- um, it, it's it's least uh, changeable through any democratic means, right? Because it's it's so, like what are you going to debate biochem? Like what are we going to have three hundred million people debate biochemistry? Um, to what end, right? There, there there is there is no political direction that you can steer that in if the debate is that narrow. What RFK mm -hmm. talks about very very broadly is the corrupting influence of the pharmaceutical industry on our healthcare system because the profit mode. Reason, he doesn't support universal health care. Well, that's so the thing, right? right? That's the ultimate paradox is, well, well, yeah, if we were starting over, we would change this, but we're not starting over. So what? We're going to have to, like, I, I don't even understand what his philosophy yeah, so is it, there. That, that's like, very bizarre that he's not for universal health care, given that, I mean, we're we're right now getting into his book, and you know we're not going to get to a strike by getting into details. But his overall critique, I don't see how you could have that critique and not be for universal health care. I mean, how else would you solve what he's talking about? I mean, broadly speaking, his whole premise is that you know, no, there's been regulatory capture, right? There, I mean, regulatory re capture. Re regulatory capture is inevitable as long as you allow a for-profit healthcare system to run rampant. Like, right. it is inevitable that these companies and these interests will get big enough to buy the government, you know? Um, I still think that the biggest reason he's not supporting universal healthcare is because he has billionaire backers that are in his coffers. And as far as I'm concerned, they don't want it. And when the people that are funding your campaign that are making you a 20, maybe soon 25, even 30 percent polling candidate for president in the Democratic primary, you basically are their bitch. 
just like Elizabeth Warren fell down that rabbit hole when she realized she didn't have a, a fraction of what Bernie had. So she decided to cave to a billionaire right. herself right. and took right. the super PAC money to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. And her rhetoric completely changed. It's so obvious. You know, we just have to be really aware that when the obvious answer is there, and you're not willing to go full throat in that direction. What are you really going for, Jen? What am I, uh, Jen? What? What are What are my thoughts? <laughs> I don't want this to become three the three stooges just having a conversation. <laughs> I find it very entertaining. Um, oh, sure. No, <laughs> I even, look. I'm a pothead. You know that. If I don't, if like that's why when we wait too long for me to get in, like I kind of like lose track of uh, what we're talking oh, yeah. about. Um. So I don't even remember what this exact last point started off as. And listen, and this is one of the reasons why social media has become such a freaking nightmare. I mean, even when RFK... I hate Twitter. I hate it. Even when RFK says something correct, which, you know, we had put out on social media the other day, and he is absolutely right about inflation being the cause of corporate greed strangling us to death and making sure that they don't lose lose an inch and we have to suffer the consequences as a result. And also the fact that we have endless war and that is going to be the death of us if we don't figure out how to get our way out of it. And then it becomes this whole conversation about how could you even share anything from that anti-vaxxing lunatic? And all I'm thinking is, guys, please, please go out and touch grass for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said to the it's funny. I said this exact same thing today. For president. For God's sake, if if Donald Trump axes the Trans-Pacific Partnership as he did and Hillary Clinton definitely would have passed, I am going to laud the fact that Trump did that. Do I support Trump? No, but I do support what he did. And if you know how to do nuance in politics, you would probably say the same. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen here. And it's very, you know, it's sad. It's unnerving in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's it's. It becomes a selective thing too. Like, you know, we, you know, at one of the main bents of our show is free speech, censorship and stuff like that. So, you know, like during the Matt Taibbi hearings, you know, when Jim Jordan cut off, I forget who it was. It may have been Plaskett herself or it may have been one of the others. When they were asking him to reveal his source and Jim Jordan cuts in and says, excuse me, did you just ask a journalist to reveal their source? We we applauded Jim Jordan, right? So like, if if you're allowed to, right. you know, express right. that nuance there, then why not for other candidates? Like, we would obviously never tell anybody to vote for Jim Jordan. His politics are not ours. But like that moment there in time, that was better First Amendment advocacy than we've heard from any Democrat these last six seven years. So why not? Yeah. Why we're not? usually very consistent when we we call out both sides. I feel like. It's more incumbent upon me to call out Democrats since I'm technically registered as one. It's sort of this idea like clean up your own shit before you clean up someone else's shit. And I also feel Mm -hmm. like if I have any opportunity to make any inroads, at least in our local area politically, I have a better chance within that party than in the Republican Party. Right. Like that. And those are our two choices here. That's what our choices are. So. Um, but yeah, no, they, they're, we call out whatever is the good thing or whatever is the bad thing. I I wish there were no parties. And I thought for a long time, if we were to write down Biden's list of accomplishments or what he did and Trump's list of accomplishments and not put their names on it. And I were to show that to every single one of those centrist Dems and said, okay, who would you vote for? That they would probably all pick Trump. 
And that's the thing that is so infuriating to me because they're all concerned with their hurt feelings and they don't look at what actually transpired. So Biden just screwed Alaska. Biden screwed the railroad workers. Trump's the one who acts the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Trump didn't start a new war. Um, so like I can point these things out, but if you look at it overall, you wouldn't, they wouldn't vote for Joe. If they were looking at it without a name on it and there was no party and no affiliation, they wouldn't vote for him over Trump. I mean, the overwoke era we live in today where, you know, you have Joe Biden on audio saying, I don't want my kids growing up in a racial jungle. <laughs> I, I, I am more than happy to cut Social Security. It's like if you didn't know that that was Joe Biden and a liberal heard that, they'd freak out. They wouldn't, you know, uh, again, it's like this. It really is amazing because I've seen it in my own family, um, friends, you know, and people are stuck in the matrix on both sides, so to speak. You know, you have people sure. that think Trump can do no wrong and you have people that think that Biden can do no wrong. But the fact of the matter is uh, we are living at a time where our rights are just being eroded all the time. And I'm not even going to bring up the, the article. We'll just kind of end here. Obviously, we were going to talk about Modi and his uh, speaking at the White House. But I know, Keith, and I forwarded you that article earlier about the fact that India is not an ally. They are a competitor on the global scale. Whatever the reasoning is that he was brought to the White House. It's so easy to stand up and say that Modi is committing atrocities, that he's a war criminal, that he, you know, subjugates his own people and all of that stuff. And all I'm thinking is, yeah, and so do we. And we do it a lot worse than he does. And the people that were speaking out, to their credit, you know, AOC makes a statement. Rashida Tlaib makes a statement. Ilhan Omar makes a statement. Well, are you willing to make a statement about the fact that we need to get the hell out of the Middle East and we need to get the hell and bring peace talks uh, between Ukraine and Russia? Like, we're not hearing that. And the hypocrisy is just never ending. So when you're going to act big and bad and yell at, you know, the president, however tepidly you're doing it, that he shouldn't be meeting with Modi, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the same could be said for our actions abroad. And I just think people are getting really tired of the hypocrisy. Well, I, you know, I was just I was just there in February. Um, India, th this is Game of Thrones and India is one of the weaker powers in the game. So what do you do when you're a weaker power in the game? You try to play both sides and not really commit too much to any particular direction and get resources where you can and just try to keep people from attacking you. Right. I mean, that that's kind of where India is. They cut, they'll, they'll buy gas from Russia and they'll try to maintain good relations with the U S because they're hire a lot of people and they're trying to make manufacturing deals with us. That's where they are. They're not loyal to anyone but themselves, which I don't blame them for. Like they're, they're trying to figure out how to modernize their country within the context of being kind of caught between these more powerful entities all around them on the global stage. Uh, you know, something that I heard very often when I was in India was, um, you know, with the poverty 
in that country. It's improved over the decades. It's nothing like it was, but I mean, there's a lot of poverty there. Um, with that kind of poverty, a lot of the things that the United States will try to demand of them are absurdities. I mean, it's just absolutely not reasonable, particularly in regards to environmental targets, things like that. Um, so that's a, you know, with Modi, I mean, a lot of people there do speak of him as a repressive uh, dictator like that. That's not an uncommon view of him. Um, yeah. I, but Indian life on a day to day basis, most people don't have a lot of interaction with the government. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you, you still, I find you the hypocrisy these- suffocating. I find it suffocating. I appreciate all of them standing up against somebody who is a violator of human rights. But yet we do it all the time. We do it all the time with so many countries. I don't even know how anybody who can say that with a straight face and not if they don't know about Guantanamo Bay, do they not know like what we do and not only what we do abroad, but what we do here. Like, we don't give a crap about human rights. We don't give a crap about civil rights. Like, I, I don't I don't understand how anybody can be making a stand about that dictator, but we'll have other ones. We'll have other ones. So it's okay, like, if that we're friends with Saudi Arabia. Quite honestly, I'm feeling that way about Netanyahu. I feel that way about a lot of people. Sure, so sure. I just find it very frustrating, and I find it very political, theatrical, to take a stand on this. And obviously it's because they feel it's safe and politically to do so. It's not threatening to enough people. It's a thing where they can take a stand, but they won't be in trouble for doing so. So it's a safe stand. And yeah, I agree that he's a dictator and however he runs his show, they call it a democracy. We call this a democracy. So, right. you know, if you're, right. if you're, if you're infri- infringing on people's human and civil rights, that's the, that's the problem. We do that here. So I, I just I find it very ridiculous that they're even you know making a big deal of it at this point. Well, there's also I mean it's it's yet another case where we're bringing a perspective to a culture that we barely understand. Like I'm I'm not in any way uh, you know justifying some of the things he's done since he's governed. Clean this, up our own this, house. This, mu- our own this house. Muslim Hindu tension and violence yeah. back and forth. This has been going on since long before we existed as a nation. You know, it's a it's something we have never had to deal with. We have never had a Sunni Shiite situation here. Well, we supported Pakistan in that in that battle, and the Soviets supported India. Um, which is, you know, something that probably weighs on them now with this conflict. And, you know, to what you were saying earlier, um, you know, I I think because India sort of post-colonial India has really made a point to maintain its own sovereignty and maintain what they call freedom of action, right? Um, You know, we don't want to tie ourselves to any power, much less any Western power. Um, You know, we want to maintain our autonomy as a state in that way. Um, I think they are seen as persuadable. I think that is why Biden wants him here, um, because for all this talk about how Biden has united the world against Russia, that's actually not true at all. Um, And it's ironic that the wokest idiots with the Twitter emojis, you know, in their uh, bio seem to think this because the truth of the matter is Biden has united most of the white world against Russia. But the global south 
uh, is not against Russia in this. Uh, that's what the BRICS alliance is. British, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And so, you know, um, India's right, right in the middle. They have not condemned the invasion. Um, they have not condemned Russia. Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe Biden's trying to break that alliance a bit, right? Not that it's a formal alliance yet, but there is the perception that the quote unquote rest of the world, as Fiona Hill put it in her speech that we covered um, a few weeks back, um, that they are actually more sympathetic to the Russian cause than they are to the cause of the West and NATO and by proxy, obviously, tragically, Ukraine. Um, and so that could be what's motivating this, right, is trying to trying to break that right. up a bit right. um, in order to actually get some moral support uh, away from the Russians. I, I don't I don't see how any of that works and I don't see how any of that matters. Russia has China. That's really where it begins and ends as far as I can see. Um, not that India is a minor power, um, but it's not China. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. It's, it's actually going to be quite interesting to watch. Well, how it plays well, I, th out. I think this year, is it this year they're about to surpass China's population? Yeah. 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 They're 1.3 billion now, I think. Yeah. They'll be number one. And I think, uh, I think our lack of real leadership at the top, I mean, Biden is just so weak and it, the, there's no question that other foreign leaders and nations take notice. I mean, how could you not? It just looks really, really bad. And, you know, that's when they kind of figure out ways to maneuver together. And I think this all comes down to the fact that so many nations around the globe do not want NATO anymore. There's no question right. that that place. No, they don't world. want NATO anymore. And they don't see a reason for NATO to exist or even a reason to follow the the you know leadership of the West more broadly, of the U.S., right? I mean, say what you want about China. China has a political project underway, right? They 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 actually have a sense of political momentum, right? Yeah, for for the the many failings of the Chinese state, um, they have performed an economic miracle in terms of eradicating extreme poverty in their country uh, over the last hundred years for every 10 people on earth lifted out of poverty seven lived in china right now that's not to excuse the offenses of the chinese state it is a police state right yeah. but they have a project going like they have something going they, 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 they have a lab that's up and running right uh what the fuck do we have we have strip malls <laughs> and baseball stadiums. We, we don't have anything. What what we what what, what are we imparting on the world? What example are we to the world? What vision are we expressing abroad? We're not, we're not, fuck all. Fuck all. These military projects it don't even exist to expand the empire at this point. They they just it, it, they only exist to enrich the people who profit off of the exercise, the custom of war. Um, and so why should anybody give a damn what we have to say? Right. Why should and anybody follow when, our lead on anything? And when China wants to uh, create a relationship with your country, they don't put a military base there. They build fucking roads. Right. They build they infrastructure. They fix the roads. Yes. They build infrastructure there. Yeah. So, so what would you rather have, that or to get caught up in American war games? I mean, well, we, we talked have. about that, right? Recently, we had a guest on and we talked a lot about that how the Chinese have engaged in Africa versus how we've engaged in Africa and other places. And even though it does definitely come nicer, it's definitely nicer. Hey, we'll build you roads. We'll do all this. 
it has its whole other set of problems for the indigenous people there as well. And a lot of the projects are crumbling and they're not done right. And they're bringing in their own workers. They're not employing local labor. It has its own set of abuses and problems, but yet it's still preferable then we're going to come set up military bases uh, where you live and be running drills right off your coast and see how you like that. Right. Right. And that that is why a lot of the non-Western world is turning towards China as a uh, counterbalance uh, against the United States. You know, even before Ukraine, I would love to see some polling on this now. Even before Ukraine, the majority of people, they did a poll around the world when they asked them which country was the greatest threat to world peace. They all said the United States. Oh, yeah. It yeah. wasn't even close. It wasn't yeah. even close. They didn't say Russia. They didn't yeah. say China. You mean Russia's like, what, eight military bases? I mean, that's how skewed we are in this country. I've always found it so interesting. And we perceive Russia as a threat. I'm always like, are they coming up on the shores? Are they testing missiles right off of our, our coast? I don't right. see them being a threat how many military bases do they have around the world like eight maybe or something like that like how is that a threat to us in what way is that a threat I, i've never well understood we we are the most propagandized to people on earth like it, you know when you go travel and you look at other people's news yeah it's just so different the way they present oh, yeah, the news like here they just the news is designed to keep people in a constant state of fear and paranoia and anxiety. Yeah. So why like people have this warped idea of, oh, Russia's a threat. Yeah, no. Yeah. The, the it's it's Red Dawn. You know, the Russians are going to be right. coming and we're going to be fighting them off in the high schools. <laughs> you know, like what the what? What? Who do you think is coming here? Who do you think is going to try to invade North America? Well, like, that's. <laughs> You know, like like if you just look like what interest do we have in all of this? None. Profit. Um, profit yeah. for the profit. complex. It's oh. profit for the complex. That's all it is. That's what Keaton was just saying. It's not even for empire anymore as much as it's for maintaining profit. Right. Yep. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Guys, can't thank you enough as always for coming on. Obviously, the floor is yours. Plug away what you're working on, when people can find you. Obviously, the time, the schedule is changing. So let people know uh, when you guys are going to be going live uh, very soon, I believe. You said you guys are changing up the schedule. And yes. Uh, well, yeah, thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we stream right now, uh, well, the next two Thursdays uh, at 8 o'clock. Uh, and then we will be uh, live every Sunday at seven o'clock Eastern. And then we're going to do a Friday morning show Fridays at 9 a.m. Uh, but then we'll be moving the weekday show to Wednesday at eight starting in July. Um, so that's going to be our schedule moving forward. You can find us at Substack too. do dissidents.substack.com. Did you guys do a Substack yet? Were you were we talking about you guys doing a Substack? Yeah, I have one. I technically created one. It's there. I, I just don't really quite know what now to do with it. Like, well, so now I that have, Elon the bastard throttled the Substack links on Twitter, it's a lot harder to promote your Substack. And that's a horrible thing that he did because Substack is a great tool. It's a real free speech outlet. You could do videos, podcasts, yeah. and written pieces on there. And like we need people to find us on alternative platforms like that to censor proof these operations. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, yeah. we so, technically have a rumble. Right. But I just don't think we do anything with it because we don't. Right, Peter? 
Yeah, we post some clips on there. It doesn't really get much uh, traction. It's hard. I mean, that's the thing yeah. about Rumble. It's just it's not big enough yet. It's not big enough yet. But yeah. you know, like we're we're hey, thinking about like that, we're reading if this RFK gets book off YouTube. It will be. Right. I mean, we're reading this RFK book. We'd like to do a show on the RFK book. We cannot discuss it in the kind of detail that we would need to to do it justice on YouTube. So that will be a Rumble exclusive show. So, like, you have to think of your show as your show and YouTube as the theater, right? YouTube isn't the show. YouTube is the venue. So, you know, some nights you play YouTube. Some nights when you can't play YouTube, you play Rumble. Like, you have to think of it that way because it's getting really, really scary out there. And it's, it's, it's just a horrible thing. It's just it's really not acceptable. It's really offensive. And this is a this is a major motivating issue for us, as you can probably tell from how we talk about this. But like this just cannot stand, especially now. I mean, three years into the pandemic, it's absurd. At this point, everybody's done what they're going to do. If they want the fucking thing, they'll take the fucking thing. If they don't want the fucking thing, they won't. Like what? nobody's hurting anybody at this point by talking, right? Like it's just ridiculous. It's no. absurd. It's obscene. So anyway. well, it, it shows you how insecure right. our, our elites are because yeah. they know that their power is no longer legitimate. Right. Exactly. Well, they also don't feel legitimacy. They know they're illegitimate and they know the people see them as illegitimate. So now they have to resort to propaganda and suppression. Don't pay attention to that guy standing behind the curtain. That's right. Exactly. Keep staring at MSNBC, CNN and Fox News. That'll solve all the problems. Keaton and Russell do dissonance. Guys, make sure you're subscribed. Check them out. Uh, Let us know when you want us back on. It's always a pleasure. Of course, we will. Be in touch. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Good seeing you guys again. See you, brother. Bye-bye. Always fun. And always always great conversation. If you guys like that conversation and what we're doing, please get over to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a supporter of our channel. And of course, you know, you get the introductory Lulu sticker if you are so inclined. Uh, There she blows. Where is Lulu? Bring Lulu for promotion. Today. So oh, don't be mean. Don't be mean. Her nose hairs are a little short, people. Lou, you're such a cutie patootie. Aw, you see? There you are. So $5 contributors will get the Lulu sticker. For the $10 contributors, we still do have the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. So you know you definitely want to get yourself one of those. But for the very generous $25 donors, now whether you become a patron, we would certainly appreciate it. But for those who donate $25 or more, you are eligible to get the Generational Change t-shirt or jersey. It will Jerseys. be your choice. Jerseys. So, We're not doing jersey. Well, okay. We have yeah. to talk about the t-shirts because we need them for campus. All right. So the jerseys, not my T-shirt. Uh, my T-shirt costs more. I would have to sign it and everything if you really wanted exclusive. Hey, Travers, so. Travers. Man, you really are off the wall. Uh, I don't want them. <laughs> he up said he likes Swedish Chef. Oh, OK. Well, if you do not want to put your credit card on the grid and you just want to make a one-time contribution, but also recognize that the Super Chats do get uh, taken uh, at a clip of, I think, 20 or 30%, make sure you go over to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change. Any and all contributions made are certainly appreciated. We Do we have a 
Gen Z report scheduled for tomorrow? Yes, we do. Gen Z report tomorrow night will be about, um, they're going to specifically be speaking about Florida and all the different parental rights legislation and the Stop the Woke Acts, the things that are specifically happening in Florida. Well, we have to stop the woke. I mean, you know, they're just such evil people. And yeah, we don't want people to be aware. That's I'm basically what that said. That's we want people to be sleeping. If we if we're definitely going to identify the reason why you don't have a living wage, health care, endless war, civil liberties being eroded, and of course a for profit criminal justice system, it's definitely the wokeies. That's the reason why it's not. So what do we have coming up Monday, guys? So check out Gen Z report tomorrow night. What do we have coming up on Monday? We're having Billy Corbin. Billy Corbin is going to be coming on to talk about a very uh, Florida-like story. Uh, maybe the most corrupt mayor in the entire country, Francis Suarez. is Running, running for president, people. Running for president. I guess that's the only way to beat the charges, baby. So that's what his plan is. So we will be talking to Mr. Corbin about that. Uh, we have lots of other guests lined up that we are scheduling at the moment. Um, as of right now, I'm not 100% sure if we have everything locked in for next Wednesday. I know that we will be having on your friend Jay Barlow. He will be joining us next Wednesday. Um, there is an uh, organization called Progressive Victory that he's going to be coming on to discuss with us. Yeah, he, he is somebody I met um, through the Gen Z report. You know, I'm really wanting these kids to take over the show, but there is a new young people's organization that is starting up that he's part of. And I think it sounded really cool. So he's going to come on and talk about that. But, you know, that's not like a whole big thing. No, but we'll see if we perhaps get one other guest that will join us as well. So in the meantime... We really appreciate you all. Make sure that you smash that like button, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that we ask. Our numbers have been perking up a little bit, which is nice. Obviously, our live stream numbers are going to continue to be throttled. But for some reason, after the fact, they tend to do a little bit better. I don't think it's going to help us that Keaton and Russell are going to be going at the same time. They start an hour before us, but still. That's true. And so maybe they'll end. But they tend to run very long streams. So... I, look, you know, you got to compete. Sometimes, you know, we notice that people will hop from uh, live stream to live stream. Uh, well, it also depends on what, what everybody's talking about. So, true. like, it depends on what topic they're on and what we're talking about, you know? Well, we hope you guys found our conversation entertaining tonight. I think the conversation flowed well. I think I did okay. You um, did a really good job. I, I was wanting to really comment on that whole Modi thing. So I was like, you better get to that because I found that just really very um, theatrical. Yeah. Uh, well, it is theatrical. Because Important like though. Like, see, here's the thing. I agree with them doing it. I agree with them doing it, but it just I'm seems like. You can't pick and choose. Yeah. It's very cafeteria. Like I had a friend in law school used to say he was a cafeteria Catholic. He's like, you know, I just pick and choose the parts that work. Uh, I don't think we could compete with Batman if he's doing a live stream. I mean, yeah, no, we can't. Com Actually, if Michael Keaton's doing a live stream, I'd kind of want to watch it. Yeah, then you'll be quitting this and be like, Pete, you're on your own. No, I got to go watch I want to go watch Batman. He was the best Batman. He was he the was best Batman. Batman. Christian Bale was the best Bruce Wayne and Michael Keaton is the best Batman. I don't That's know. I, I still like, no, Michael Keaton, Batman. And also, and, and, and that was even, What? That's what I said. Yeah, I know. But I, I no, I don't even I just I don't not into the Christian Bale thing. The voice is too weird. 
that fake voice from Bruce Wayne to Batman was just too stupid for me. Well, yes. It's like, yes, it was stupid. I never liked that. Yes. Heath Ledger. The first one, he didn't really change his voice. Every, uh, every one thereafter, by the time he got to the dark Knight rises, he was talking like this. It was so stupid. It was like I it was like almost hurt. like a Will Arnett spoof. That's what it like. Will Arnett spoofing well, it is how ridiculous it sounds. Well, that, well, that's where he got it from. So yeah, but guys, we appreciate you all. Uh, we're we come up on the two hour mark, which is usually not. We try to do an hour and a half, but the conversations have been flowing good. Uh, so hopefully uh, the numbers will keep perking up. Miss Anonymous, Sable, Travers, Metalopoly. Uh, who am I forgetting? The Pittsburgh dude. I know uh, that, that big, big dumb animal was in there. Big before. dumb animal. Yes. Uh, Jay Bogues. All of you. Colinello. Always great to see you. all of you guys coming in tonight, uh, making our. And everybody played pretty nice night. tonight, even with yeah. Metalopoly, which was nice. Everybody got along nicely. Yeah. I think you guys have uh, all done a great job. We really appreciate you. And definitely, like I said, smash that like button. Contribute if you can. Spread the word. We appreciate it very much. And we'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.